All right, let's get into the Word. Uh, today we're going to be talking about false teachers, and, and I know that doesn't sound like a fun message to talk about, and it's probably not. So just FYI, this isn't going to be a real fun one to, to listen to, but we're going to go through what Peter talks about because Peter feels like he needs to give us an understanding about some false teachers. And so Peter's going to start us off. Let me just start off with Second Peter. We did First Peter, I mean Second Peter 1 last week, Second Peter 2 this week. Here's what he says right from the very beginning. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false prophets, uh, false teachers among you. Let me just stop right there and just say, today's message is all about this false teaching. Now, I'm not talking about things that are obviously false, okay? There are some teachers, some, uh, some churches, or some religions that are obviously false. Today, I don't have time to get into that. Maybe we need to do a series just on some false religion, just on some false teaching, where I can spend a few weeks doing that, but today I only have a few minutes, so I'm not going to get into all that. You can look at Jehovah's Witness, you can look at Mormonism, um, we can look at some, some other religions where they take uh, and create their own Bible. When you have to create your own Bible, chances are you're not real, right? If you have to come up with your own version where you're adding stuff in and taking stuff out, you're not a false, uh, you are false, you are not true Christianity. But, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, um, also today, there's another aspect that, I, I, that Peter's going to talk about, but I just don't have a lot of time to spend on it, and that is the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel looks like the real gospel, but I don't have time to get into all of that today. Peter's going to mention it a few times when he talks about greed, and he talks about people that preach for money. Um, I'm not going to get into all of that today, but, but we will touch on that a little bit. Today, I really want to kind of focus a little bit more on uh, progressive Christianity. If you've never heard that term, it's not a political uh, progression. It's also called liberal Christianity, also not talking about the political liberal. Um, it, it's talking about a new form, and it's not really that new. It's been around um, for a couple of decades, but recently it has resurfaced and become um, extremely popular in our nation, the idea of progressive Christianity. And that's really where we're going to hone in on because that's really a lot of what Peter is going to talk about. He, he really hits on some of the points of progressive Christianity. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing we need to understand today is a lot of what we're going to talk about today, even talking about the false, might sound good. I know that sounds backwards. But here's what Peter says, um, and I'm going to give you just a couple of thoughts on what false teachers are. And I gave you a bunch of blank stuff just to write notes today. I didn't give you a lot of things to fill in. That's on the back side today. I'm just going to give you a chance to write down whatever you want to write down. But, but here's one of the things you need to understand that false teachers are, is false teachers are always clever. They're always clever. They're, they're always going to give you something that sounds right. If you go back to the very first false teacher in Genesis chapter 3, that's Satan, right? The Bible says that Satan shows up and he was craftier than any of the others of God's creation. There's this idea that a false teacher has to be clever, they have to be smart. As a matter of fact, even in Jesus's time, you had the sect of religious um, uh, leaders called the Sadducees. We only really hear about the Sadducees, and I don't have time to get into them either. That's a very interesting topic. But the Sadducees only operate um, during a certain portion of the Bible. You don't really hear about them later on. But the Sadducees were exactly like today's progressive Christians. They were always the upper class they were always smarter. They were more educated than everybody else. And they always looked down on people. And, and what they did was, is they had this whole clever thought and this understanding. And they were very quick to adopt other parts of religion to make you think that they were on your side. And then they would indoctrinate you with their thoughts on the back end of it. A false teacher is always going to be clever. And you need to understand that, number one. First Peter, uh, Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 1 says this, But there, were, all, there were, were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought them. In this way, uh, who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. So, so just quickly, it says that they will be very clever. There's another place where, where the Bible talks about, uh, where, where Peter talks about, they love deception. 
They love deception. In other words, there's this place where we've got to understand that a false teacher is going to give you something that sounds really good, but it's really deceptive. And so, what, and we'll get into some more thoughts on why that happens. The second thing that I want you to notice in that very first verse is it says they will deny the master. That word master there is talking about God. So a false teacher, first of all, is always going to be clever. Second of all, a false teacher is going to deny the authority of God. The word, the word master there means, means to um, have absolute dominion, absolute authority. And what a false teacher wants to do is they want to discredit who God is. Now, I've listened to quite a few of these guys, these progressive Christians. I've listened to some of their sermons and some of their messages, and they're all a little different, but they all have some of the same traits, some of these same traits. Um, I, I listened to a guy recently. His name is Brandon Robertson. He's a, he's a, a progressive Christian pastor. And in one of his messages, I've mentioned this a couple of times recently leading up to this, but in one of his messages, he, he comes about, and this is very common among progressive Christians, is he begins to separate the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. He, he begins to act as though there, is, there are two gods. There's a God of the Old Testament, and Jesus has come to counteract the God of the Old Testament. That's, that's the message that he brings. So one of the things that a progressive Christian is going to talk to you about, and we'll get into this again, more of this in just a minute, but, but they want to separate the God of the Old Testament because the God of the Old Testament operated in judgment, and no one likes judgment. And one of the messages I heard is he talked about how the God of the Old Testament says to Adam and Eve, you can't eat of the fruit, right? You can't eat of the fruit because the fruit... Was, is the fruit of knowledge. And he says that the God of the Old Testament was jealous and did not want them to know as much as he knew. Enter the serpent who rescues Adam and Eve by opening up their minds to help them understand the truth. Do you see how twisted this can become? They begin to deny the authority of who God is. They want to discredit God at every turn because they want to separate They don't want you to believe in the Trinity. They want to separate that out. They want to break God apart from himself. And that's what Satan has always wanted to do is to divide and conquer. He does it with us. You look at our nation right now. How are we divided? We're divided among political lines. We're divided uh, among racial lines. We're divided among health lines, right? COVID and and vaccination and no vaccination. We're divided. He wants to find. Have you noticed? All you got to do is look back. If you could have a timeline of newsreels, right? If you could just go back through the news for the past, I don't know, take five years and go back through the news. Watch it. How often we come up with ways to divide ourselves. And just the moment people start to come back together, another line of division steps in. Oh, well, the races are doing good. Let's separate them with COVID. Oh, well, they're, they're kind of coming together on that. Let's separate them with politics. Oh, well, this is Satan's constant plan is divide and conquer. Even to the point of trying to divide us from God, trying to divide God from himself, Right? Then if we keep reading in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 2, it, it says this, Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality, and because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. The third thing that every false teacher or every false doctrine is going to do is it's always going to twist the truth. 2 Peter 3, 3. Sorry, Jasek, I'm going to jump through this chapter. I'm not going straight through. 2 Peter 3, 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last day, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Second Peter three fifteen and 16, it says, And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Look at verse 16. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. The progressive Christian is going to say this. They're going to tell you that truth is fluid. It's not absolute. They're going to tell you that truth is constantly expanding, that that truth is what you make it. In the message that I saw from, from that one pastor, one of the things he talked about was he talked about how Adam and Eve wanted to know the truth, but God didn't want them to know truth. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus says, you've got to repent. And, and here's the way they're so clever. He says you got to repent. And he says the word repent means to expand your mind. But actually in the Greek, the word repent means to change your mind, not expand your mind. You see how one little word, 
one little change, one little nudge can change the whole meaning. For me to expand my mind means I'm opening myself up to more and more things. To change my mind means I'm going one direction and I turn to face a different direction. And so whenever they begin to tell you these things, what they want you to know is they want you to know that truth is ever evolving. There is no absolute. Why do they do that? Because they want to discredit God and they want to discredit his word. And they have to twist the scripture. They have to twist God's word. The first thing Satan says to Eve in the garden is he tells Eve, he says, did God really say? Right. Let me discredit God and let me discredit his word. Is it true what God said? And so right off the bat, he's trying to help Eve. He's trying to help Eve disconnect from God's word. And so they want to twist the truth. They want to twist it. Here's the thing that I've noticed with God's word. Someone, um, someone asked me one time, they said, uh, they said, how do you come up with your doctrine? How do you come up with your theology? I said, I'm, I'm 100% Bible-based. Like everything I believe, I have to find it in the Bible. Even if it's things from my own past and my own tradition, I will go back through those things. And I'll say, okay, do these things really line up with what the Scripture says? And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, then I have to drop those things and I have to focus back on the Scripture. And, and, and so in the question that was, was asked to me was, are you willing to admit that you could be wrong from something in your past if the Scripture doesn't bear it out? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. I have to bend my theology, I mean, I have to bend my life to fit the Scripture. I never bend the Scripture to fit my life. And what, what people today, in today's world, what they want to do in this movement of progressive Christianity that looks good on the outside, here's what they want to do. They want to take God's Word, they want to take the truth and the, ab- the absolute truth of God's Word, and they want to bend it to fit their agenda. They want to bend it to fit their sin. They want to bend it to fit what they want it to say. They are very willing to omit certain parts. They are very willing to ignore certain parts in in order for for the Scriptures to line up with them instead of them lining up with the Scriptures. One of the the things I heard, and and, uh, and, and I I don't even know where to put this example. It fits so many, right? So many of the different things. But one of the the things I heard, and it's a... To me, it was almost like a... I don't even know, clickbait kind of topic. But if you looked it up, I, I looked it up and it, and it says Jesus was racist. And right off the bat, I'm thinking, hold, hold up. Last time I checked, Jesus wasn't racist. Right? Like last time I checked, Jesus loves everybody. So, so I thought, well, let's click on it. Let's see what they got to say. And here's what they got to say. Two different progressive Christians. Here was their thought. Their thought was there's a place in the Bible where Jesus is, is um, confronted by a Syrophoenician woman. He's confronted by this, this lady that was not an Israelite. And as he's confronted, she's saying, hey, my daughter is sick or my daughter has a demon and I need you to help me. And Jesus says, he, he's basically telling her, he says, look, he says, the, the, you don't give the bread, the children's bread to the dogs. And so in, in the understanding of these guys, they twist the scripture and they say what Jesus said was, is Jesus called her the B word. And he looked at her skin color and Jesus was racist and he called her a B word. That's what they say. They don't take in the fact that she was the same color as him. She wasn't black. She wasn't white. She was brown just like he was. Right? Like they don't think about the fact that they're all Middle Easterners and they all come from the same area. So, so whenever they, they, they throw that out, then they take the word dog and they say it means the B word. It absolutely doesn't mean the B word. As a matter of fact, that's not even really a word that they used back then. But there were derogatory terms, dog terms in the Greek, and that's not what he used. He used the word pets. In other words, he was talking about different levels in the family, in the home. And he said, right now my calling is to the Jews. But later it goes, it goes to everyone else. He said, but right now I've got to deal with the Jews. And, and so this woman says, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs. And Jesus says, I see that faith. I see that faith and I'll honor your faith. But whenever I watched the message from the progressive Christians, they said that Jesus had to repent to the woman. Now listen. These are the things I don't understand. It's how people can take the scripture. So here's what they want to do. They want to create. They want to create their agenda. They want to get their agenda out there. 
And so they take Jesus' words and they twist them and they turn them and they add a little bit here and a little bit there. And if you're not smart, if you're not studied up on your scriptures, if you're not willing to do the, the background, we buy into it. Man, Jesus was racist. What just happened? All of a sudden, now we're beginning to doubt our Savior. And all they need is that little doubt. That's exactly what Satan did. The other thing that, that I read, is I, or I saw in, in one of the messages that I saw, is, is they begin to talk about, I said that Jesus said to expand your mind. Then they said that the Holy Spirit has come. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit has come to reveal truth to us, right? The, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will reveal all truth. But, but their message was the Holy Spirit is, has come to um, expand our truth. In other words, that truth is ever evolving. And, and the message is what is truth is whatever's inside of you. And you need to live whatever you're feeling on the inside that's your truth. Can you see how dangerous this is? At first, what they want to affirm is they're trying to affirm their sin, but what they're not willing to understand is that the more sin you affirm now, you've got to continue to expand. And Paul's going to, I mean, Peter's going to tell us more about that. So the, the fourth thing that, that, a, that a false doctrine is always going to teach you, a false pastor, a false preacher is always going to teach, is they're going to learn how, they're going to teach you how to affirm sin and desire. They want to affirm sin. Now look, the word affirm is important. Now, and I got this, I got this directly from their website, the, the website on progressive Christianity. Their website says you must, in order to be a Christian, you must affirm, and they, they list out certain sins. So for them, it's, uh, it's LGBTQ. That's one of theirs. Another one was um, other religions like Islam and Buddhism and um, they, you've got to affirm those things. Now listen, there's a difference. I need you to understand the word affirm. The word affirm means that, I, um, that not only do I agree with something, but I confirm it. I say that this is true and this is good and this is God's will. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Everybody in this room, we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners, especially Jackie. I mean, she told me before. She said, call me out on it. I know I need it. We're all sinners, Maybe not Miss Sarah, but the rest of us are all sinners, right? Like, we're all sinners. And, and, and here's the thing. I do not, I love you, but I don't affirm your sin. And I want you to love me, but I don't want you to affirm my sin. If you catch me in a sin, I need you to call me out on that. You don't let me slide with that. But here, in this new wave of Christianity, what they're saying is, it's not about loving the sinner, hating the sin. It's about loving the sinner and confirming the fact that it's not sin, it's godly, no matter what they do. That's how we can get to the point where California even considers a vote on if pedophilia is no longer a crime, it's a way, uh, it's a sexual orientation. Now, we look at that here in the South and we think, that's ridiculous, that's California. You know, it's just California, it's how they are, right? No, that's how sin is. This new wave of, of Christianity is pushing, it's pushing. And so the more we affirm, the more you have to continue to affirm. So, so Peter says they're going to affirm sin and desire. You need to understand that word sin, affirm, I mean, because again, it's not a matter of every one of us has sins and I can love you even in your sin, but I can't affirm your sin. We got to understand that, right? We got to understand that. So 2 Peter 2, 10 through 14 says, he is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. Let me tell you something. Most of the time in false doctrines, sex is going to be involved. Most, most cults and most false doctrines, at some point, you're going to find sex involved in there somewhere. Whether it has to do with your identity, whether it has to do with, with who you're having sex with, there's going to be some in there. I was doing some studies on, on, a, on a particular group of churches, and, and whenever I was doing my studies on these guys, I, I found out that one particular group, um, one sect of this one type of church, one of the things that they did is they always talked about sex. They talked about it a lot. As a matter of fact, um, they talked about how good it was and how to use it to manipulate other people. And, and, and I mean, this is people that are Christians. They're Christians. And as they talked about it, what come to find out, the pastor had been molesting multiple women behind closed doors. It always comes back. You're going to find sex and money 
involved in a lot of these false doctrines. I'm just telling you. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring to even scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring the Lord, uh, bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, listen to this, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand. Like animals, they will be destroyed. Paul, Peter's saying these guys are going to they're going to fry, right? Or he's just saying they're going to burn. It's going to be bad for them. But I want you to catch some some certain words. A couple of things he says. They follow their twisted sexual desire. They despise authority. It, it also says they scoff at supernatural beings. It says this that they're like unthinking animals. You, you think about an animal sometimes. What is an animal driven by? I've got a dog. Dogs are driven by their instinct. Right? They're driven by their instinct. What God put in them, that's what drives animals. There are animals um, that, that will, you know, they'll almost die trying to mate with another animal. Like they, they're driven by instinct. And what Peter is saying here is Peter is saying these false preachers are driven not by God's word, not by his Holy Spirit. They're driven by their own instinct, by their own desire. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. There was a time when sin was hidden. Today it's on the news. There was a time when, when there were certain acts um, or certain things that were only put on late night TV. Now they're in our commercials. We were watching, we were on vacation, uh, my family... Jonathan's family, Jesse and Wendy's family, and our other, my other brother-in-law, all four families went together. We all vacationed together. And so there was a, one, like, TVs everywhere, but one communal TV. And, um, and I remember we would try to watch TV. It didn't matter what we were watching, but we would try to watch TV, and the kids would start coming in the room, and there were certain commercials I would have to turn the TV off for. Commercials, not the show. The show was fine. It was the commercials, not the cartoon the kids were watching. It was the commercials on Cartoon Network that was a struggle for us to watch. There was a time when things were hidden. Now they are blatant and they're in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception. I notice how he says they're a stain among you. In other words, these false teachers are right there in the church. He's not saying they're outside the church. They're in the church. They're calling themselves Christians. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. That's what we said earlier. When you affirm sin, you're going to go down a rabbit hole you can't come out of. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. The fifth thing is this. They preach to gain, not to give. They're always going to preach to gain. Their sermons, their message is always about what I can get, what I can get from God, what I can get from society, what I can get from others. It's never about what I can give. Now, now one of the things about progressive Christianity, they are very big on the environment. They're very big on, um, on social welfare and helping other people, and that's good. But there's also this other side of it that's about what I can get, whether it's my agenda or in the prosperity doctrine, it's about what I can get monetarily. 2 Peter 2, uh, 3 says this, In their greed they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money, but God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. Verses uh, 15 and 16 says, They wandered off the, road, off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad curse, of course, when his donkey rebuked him with the human voice. Something I want you to notice, and this is kind of skipping around, I know, but we're going to step out of progressive Christianity into prosperity doctrine for just a minute, prosperity gospel for just a second here. here. Here's the thing you need to hear about the prosperity gospel. It's always going to come back to money. And here's the sad thing, is it hurts the rest of us who try to preach about money because we're literally concerned for you and your finances. Pastor Jonathan and I have a huge concern for people when it comes to finances because we've seen how people with poor financial habits um, get screwed up in their life. We love listening to Dave Ramsey, right? We, we like uh, the, the Hogan guy. We like all these financial people. And my concern, when I preach to you about money, it has nothing to do with me getting more money. It has everything to do with you getting out of debt and being smart with your finances. 
But these prosperity people have messed all that up for us to, to the point now there were times when I didn't feel like I could ever even preach about money because I thought everybody's going to think I'm trying to get more. There were times when I would preach about money, I would, I would have to get up before I even started, and I would say, now listen, I want everybody to know that I don't, make my own sal- I don't set my own salary. There's a team of people that sets my salary, and they've got a book, and they've got numbers, and they come up, with, and Perry finally said, you've got to stop saying that. I said, but I'm so nervous that people are going to think I'm trying to get more money because of what these people have done. And to prove my point today, I just decided before church, I thought, you know what, I'm going to look up um, somebody that I know, um, and I'm just going to listen to just one of their most random messages. I'm going to listen to their Father's Day message, and I just want to see, and I just begin to skip through, and I noticed this, this message on Father's Day, and I thought, man, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I might could use that. I like this story. I like where he's going. And then all of a sudden, it turned back into how to get more money from God. And I just thought, man, it can't. It's like they can't help themselves. It always went back to how many jets they have and how big their house is and what kind of cars they drive. It always goes back to that. So you need to understand that Peter's saying here, yes, he talks about some of this other stuff, this progressive Christianity, but he still talks about the idea of of, um, greed in the church. So if you're wondering if the guy I'm listening to or the lady I'm listening to, are they part of this group? Just notice, is everything they talk about does it have to do with money? Do they always have to talk about their stuff? If they do, chances are that that's where they're following. Number six, they're always going to be full of pride. Second Peter 2, 17 and 18 says, These people are as useless as dried up springs or a mist blown by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They're very prideful. Here's the thing almost every um, false doctrine is going to do. They're going to set up a boogeyman, right? They're going to set up a boogeyman. So that boogeyman is going to be God of the Old Testament, you know, mean God, judgmental God. They'll set up a boogeyman that might be... it might be conservative Christians. They're going to set up the boogeyman of, of, of theology. They're, they're going to set up some kind of boogeyman that, that we're all, we can all rally against this evil, right? They're going to set up that boogeyman. But then the next thing they're going to want to do is they're going to want to discredit the Bible. We talked about that twist the truth. But then the next thing they do after they discredit the Bible is they want to set themselves up as being the only ones that have the right answer. They're so full of pride. I listened to a, a, a different guy who... My dad and I know, like, I've been to this guy's church. He's been to our church. We've had dinner, sat around the same table and eaten with this guy. And I remember listening to his messages. And I remember um, thinking, man, this guy's really good. I really like what he's got to say. And now, all of a sudden, he's gone off this deep end to the point that the other day he was talking about in, in one of the interviews I was listening to him. He, he says this. He says, you know what, I read my Bible now, and he's already talked about how he discredits the Bible, and he's already talked about how the Bible is full of metaphors, and it's not truth, and he already talked about how the Bible is not good for today. It was good back in the day, but not today, and it was, it was full of errors, and it's full of inconsistencies, and so he's already discredited the Bible, but then he comes in, and here's the next thing he says, is he says, I begin to read my Bible, and I ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you think about this verse? And then sometimes Jesus asks me, well, Brian, what do you think about this verse? And he says, I believe that Jesus can edit the Bible, but I believe that I can too. He's putting himself in a place that is so much pride and arrogance to put yourself in a place of Christ where you can edit the word of God. Can you believe that? Here's the scary thing. is for most people, when you're hearing me tell these stories and you're like, oh, I'll never, I'll never fall for that. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands follow these teachings and a lot of these people are people that you would have I would have followed 20 years ago and now things have changed there's this place where sometimes as pastors we begin to slip into some of these areas let let me finish real quick the seventh thing is this they're they're going to deny the supernatural Second Peter 3, 4, they will say what happened to the promise that Jesus uh, is coming again. For before the times of our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. In other words, they said, there's nothing supernatural happening. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in, the, um, in miracles. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. The, the, the Sadducees thought that the Old Testament was just full of metaphors and good stories. Um, and today, the progressive 
They believe the same exact thing. The Bible is full of metaphors and good stories, but it's not real. There is no supernatural. They deny the deity of Christ. They say Christ was more human. That's why they can get away with saying he was a racist and he had to repent. He wasn't racist. He never had to repent. He was sinless. But whenever we start doing away with the deity of Christ, when we take away the sinless, spotless lamb, then the sacrifice that he made means nothing to us anymore. We've got to understand that this is what they want to do. The eighth thing is this. They reject judgment and discipline. They do not like the idea that God would ever judge anybody or discipline anyone. And Peter has an interesting take on this. And I like this, and I've never thought about it the way Peter thinks about it here. 2 Peter 3, 5-7 through says, They deliberately forgot. First of all, in other words, they are willfully ignorant. They choose to disregard certain passages of the Bible. That God made the heavens long ago by the word of His command, and He brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with the water, and He used water to destroy the ancient world with the mighty flood. And by the same word, the, uh, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire and being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. There, there's something I want to read one more verse. I, I didn't put it in my notes on here. I want to read this next one. It says this in verse eight of chapter three, uh, just continuing on there. It says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as an unexpected thief, and uh, then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Let me, let me just tell you something. They don't believe in any kind of judgment, in any kind of hell. There was a guy a while back named Rob Bell. Some of you may have heard of Rob Bell. Rob Bell was putting out videos called Numa, which means uh, Numa is the, the word for spirit, right? Or breath. And, and um, he would put out these videos and we would show them in our youth groups when I was a youth pastor because they were great discipleship tools. And then one day, all of a sudden, it seemed like it came out of nowhere. But if you look back through Rob Bell's teachings, you'll find it didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of somewhere. He just progressed into this. He began to say there is no such thing as hell. He began to say there is no such thing as judgment. He began to affirm that any religion, any path will lead to God. He says this. He says it might be, and, and this other guy, Brian Zahn, that I was listening to earlier, he says the same exact thing. It might be that you have a Christian in Iowa, but you've got a Muslim in Iran, and the Muslim in Iran rejects Jesus. And yet when they die, God is going to provide a way of escape for that person. That it doesn't matter because they're devout to God. It doesn't matter that they reject Jesus. It only matters that they love God. And even then, there's no hell, so it doesn't matter. That God is not a God of judgment. Let me explain to you what Peter says here that I find very interesting. Peter says... He says they have willfully forgotten, right? That there was a time of judgment in the Old Testament that God judged sins very harshly. Not because he hated people, he loved people, he hates sin. And then he sent Christ into the world to fulfill those, those sacrifices that were made. And Jesus came into the world to fulfill the sacrifices, to fulfill the Old Testament, and to usher in a period of patience. Peter says, God is not forgotten. God didn't change. He is being patient because he wants you to get saved. He wants you to find Christ. It's not that God's not a God of judgment because when we read in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that he will judge the world again. But we are in a period of patience and grace that God is providing. Why? So that we can get saved. But they don't want any kind of judgment they don't want a God that would discipline. But I serve a God that loves me and still disciplines because the Bible says that discipline is love. So that's enough about them. I could keep going with more stories, but I'm looking at the clock and I need to talk about you for a minute and me for a minute. These are all aspects of this progressive Christianity. These are all aspects of some of, some of the you know, the, the thoughts of, of uh, prosperity gospel too. 
And in, in that, one of the things that they affirm, let me just mention this too, one of the things they affirm is they have to affirm, they have to affirm that all religions count. And I, I want you to know something today. God can provide a way for people to get saved on this side of judgment. If you've ever watched the, the movie um, uh, Sheep and Wolves Clothing or whatever, Sheep Among Wolves, I think, is the, is the documentary, Sheep Among Wolves. It talks about, and we've mentioned this before, it talks about the, um, the church in Iran right now, the underground church in Iran that is just exploding, that people are getting saved left and right. And a lot of people are getting saved because they're having dreams of Jesus. And all the secret Christians have to do is mention his name, and people are falling on their knees and crying out to God. We're reading stories and hearing stories of people that are, that the one story I love, it's my favorite story that I heard um, from, from the pastor in Iran that, that was telling the stories, is the story where he says he went out to a village to meet a man. They said, you've got to go meet this man. And they go out to meet the man, and the man is telling this guy a story. And as he tells him his story, the story goes that he says, yeah, he says, every night a man in white shows up at my house, and he tells me stuff, and I write down everything he says in my journal. And the pastor said, can I read your journal? And when he read the journal, the journal starts um, John chapter 1. Now, it doesn't say John 1. It just says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he, he has been listening or hearing someone tell him John, and he's writing it down. He's a Muslim. He's never heard Christ. He's never heard uh, of who God is. He's never read the Bible, but he's steady writing it down word for word. God can provide a way. But the Bible says that Jesus is the only way. So if we have a pastor or a leader, myself included, that begins to change his stance or her stance on the idea that Jesus is the only way, you need to run very far. If they begin to affirm sin, you need to run very far. Now listen, you're going to say, yeah, but Gabriel... Nobody ever affirms sin. Like, I haven't heard anybody get up and say you should sin. Okay, well, here's the thing. If, if we begin, if I begin to allow the people in the, in the room to dictate what I preach about, if I'm too concerned with how many people are showing up on Sunday morning and I begin to shy away from even talking about sin and I shy away from talking about judgment, and all I want to talk about is the blessing, and all I want to talk about is the good things, and all I want to do is cherry pick all the things that I like about the Bible... Chances are, I may not be a progressive Christian, but I'm definitely leaning that direction. I've had to challenge myself. There's been times when, when I, I know the, the challenge of being a small church pastor, the challenge of being a small church pastor is that I know a lot of your stories. And I can see you. Right? Like if they would just turn those lights up a little bit brighter, and I could just look at nothing, it'd be awesome. But I can see you. I don't have a, a big online following of people that I can't see. And so because I can see you and because I know your story, and I know my story, and unfortunately for you, you have to hear my story all the time, right? I know your story. What if I know? So, so we, did a, we did a question and answer series, and we had to talk about divorce. That was one of the questions. But I had Bobby on stage with me, and Bobby's been divorced. So what if I would have said, you know what? I know Bobby's been divorced, and I love Bobby, and Bobby's a good leader at our church, and he, he sets up our small groups, and I don't want to do small groups anymore. I want to make sure Bobby stays. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to ever talk about divorce because Bobby's been divorced, and I don't want him to get his feelings hurt and leave. Now, what is that doing? That's a lot of pride, and it's setting me up to walk in the progressive Christian movement. I'm not doing it yet, but it's setting me up. So there's some things we need to consider. So what do I do as a believer? How do I confront this? How do I deal with this? Well, Peter gives us some good thoughts here. So the first thing a believer has to do is set God's word as the authority, as the authority in our lives. 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the Holy Prophets, Old Testament, said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles, New Testament. Peter says this. Here's what I want to do, guys. I want to help you deal with all this false doctrine. Here's how you deal with it. 
you need, let me stir up some wholesome thinking. How do I get wholesome thinking? From the word, right? So everything I do has to be established in God's word. It can't be established in man's tradition. It can't be established in someone's desire. It can't be established in someone else's book. It's got to be established in God's word first and foremost. And Peter says, it's not just the New Testament. It's not just the life of Christ. It's the Old Testament too. Peter says, it's all good. And you need to build your life on all of it. You need to set yourself up as this being the foundation. I don't worship the Word of God, right? It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in order for me to worship God, I have to have a foundation to stand on. And His Word is the foundation I build my life on in order to worship Him properly. It's got to come back to the Word every single time. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus says this in verses 17 and 18. It's not on the screen, I don't think. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. So you can't tell me the God of the Old Testament is bad and the Old Testament is no good when Jesus himself says, I didn't come to abolish that. I came to, to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. If Jesus himself affirms the whole book, then I have to live by the whole book. The second thing a Christian has to do as a believer, I have to live a godly and holy life. So in this progressive movement, one of the things is, is we're all the same. Everybody's the same. It doesn't matter what sin you commit. It doesn't matter what religion you believe. It doesn't matter. Everybody's the same. Now that sounds good. And you'll hear me, you'll hear me talk about unity, right? You'll hear me talk about unity. And I'll say it doesn't matter what color you are. We're all the same in Christ. There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no man, there's no woman. I'll tell you, no matter what um, socioeconomic uh, place you find yourself, we're all the same in Christ. That's true. That's true. But what the world wants you to believe is they want to believe, they want you to believe that there are many paths to Christ and everyone is the same all over the board. And what Peter says is, he says, you've got to establish something a little bit different. You've got to be set apart as a believer. So here's what he says in 2 Peter 3, 11 and through 15. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting on these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul wrote to you um, with the wisdom God gave him. So he's saying this, you've got to become more like Christ. You've got to be set apart. You've got to be pure. You've got to be blameless. Listen, we can't go around affirming other people's sin, affirming our own sin. We can't justify what we do. I was, I was telling someone the other day, they were saying, well, how do we deal with some of this stuff in church? I said, I, said, I think one of the ways we deal with it in church is we establish a culture in church that is built on the idea of confession and repentance. That we are just very quick to repent and confess our sin. That we're not afraid to tell someone, hey, I've messed up and I apologize and let me correct what I've said. But we live in a society where if you mess up, if you sin, we say, oh, no, 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 that's okay. You keep doing that because we don't want anyone to be offended. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Can I tell you something? We're so concerned about hurting people's feelings that we're totally offending God. Totally offending God. So Paul, Peter says you've got to set yourself apart. And the last one is this. Be on guard and grow in your relationship with Jesus. 2 Peter three seventeen and 18. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him both now and forever. Amen. He says you've got to be on guard so you're not carried away by error. Listen, how do I be on guard? Establishing myself in the word of God. Understanding that, not what, that everything that someone says isn't always right. That I need to go back and check it with God's word for myself. I tell you this all the time. No matter what I say from stage, you go back and check it with God's word. You make sure what I'm saying is right. That's our job as Christians. Our job as Christians is to belong to God and to obey his word. 
Let me end this message with this. We'll just end with Jesus. This is a great place to end. It's always good to end with Jesus. Matthew 7. It's kind of long, but I want you to see a couple of things that Jesus says that confronts this idea of modern, progressive Christianity. And, and look, I mean, I'm not apologizing for teaching on this stuff. I don't like just coming against certain things. I'd rather just go with the Word of God, and I am giving you the Word of God. But when Peter focuses on these false prophets, and then Jesus talks about it, I feel like it's something we got to say at some point. So Matthew seven thirteen starts like this. Jesus says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Let me tell you something. If you feel like everybody's doing it, chances are it's not good. Right? If everybody believes it, you might want to check it just to make sure. Because Jesus says that his way is very narrow and very difficult. Like it's not easy to be a Christian. And we want to make Christianity out to be this thing where you're always going to have a BMW and you're always going to have a big house and you're always going to be debt free and everything you do is okay and nothing you do is wrong and it's always easy and it doesn't even really matter if you obey Christ or not. It doesn't even really matter if you, if you acknowledge that He is Lord and Savior. You can worship, uh, you can worship Allah and, and you can worship Buddha and, and you can do whatever you want to do. When you see that the way is broad, when they start opening up the front door to everybody, chances are it's wrong. Jesus said, my way is very narrow and it ain't easy. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. I like the fact that he calls them harmless sheep because there are so many people in this world right now preaching on TV and on YouTube and and they seem harmless. They seem harmless. Careful, there's nothing wrong with what they're saying. Yeah, but is there anything right with what they're saying? You know? You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. Jesus isn't saying you judge them. He's saying you can identify them. He's like, listen, it's not hard. You just listen to what they're saying. Look at how they live their life. And you can identify what they are. You can check it against God's word. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father will enter heaven. On judgment day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Interesting. Jesus says not everybody that calls himself the name of Christian is getting into heaven. So just because you call yourself a Christian and just because you showed up at church doesn't mean you're actually getting in. He says, I'm not going to allow people in that are breaking the laws of God, no matter what they say. And then lastly, in verse 24, he says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rains come and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish. Like a person who builds his house on sand. When the rains come and the floods come and beat against the, the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Even Jesus says, hey, Christians, build your life on my word. Build your life on my word. Obey what I say. Look at what I do and how I live. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? I know that's a different message, and I'm not apologizing. I just, it's not how I normally do it. But I like the fact that we need to hear some things that we don't always like to hear. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit would have to say to you today about this. Because here's what I think. I think there's some, of, some people in the room, matter of fact, I know there's some people in the room that lean a little bit more to this progressive Christianity. Because I've talked to you, I've talked to different people, and I, I know how we all live, or how a lot of us live. And, and I know sometimes we begin to lean towards this progressive Christianity because there's aspects of, of Christianity that we just don't, we don't like. 
I don't like the fact that maybe my cousin or my sister or my brother or my father or my uncle might be going to hell. I I don't mind if it's somebody on a TV screen far away in another country, but I don't want to think about someone I know that may not make it to heaven because I love that person and surely God loves that person. And so we begin to lean towards a doctrine or a theology that says there's no judgment that says we have to affirm sin. We've got to be careful. And so today, the, the message is really a calling to get back to His Word, to establish His Word as the foundation of our life, to study His Word, to understand it. Don't let me be the only person in this room that studies God's Word. We should be studying it together. We should be helping each other. We should be growing together. That's why small groups are so important. Because you get together and study God's Word. Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. We ask you to speak to our hearts today. Whatever it is that you want to tell us. Whatever it is that you want to do inside of us. Your Word says that that we can call out to you and we can say, Search me, O God. See if there's anything in me that offends you. And if there is, reveal it because we want to get rid of it. So God, right now, I just pray that you would search our hearts, that you would search our minds. God, I pray for those of us that may be struggling or dealing with some issues when it comes to your word, some, some, some places where your word contradicts our feelings. And God, we don't want to live according to our feelings. We want to live according to your word. And, and so God, in those areas, I pray that you would provide truth and understanding, absolute truth from your word, not a truth that bends to my desire. God, if there's anybody in this room today that doesn't know you as their Lord and their Savior, as the master that Peter talks about, that that has absolute dominion over us, that leads us and guides us and loves us and cares for us and disciplines us when we do wrong. God, I pray that you would reveal that to us today too. If that's you this morning and you're not serving Christ and and you don't know Him and, and you see where at the very end I read that Peter says... That you need to grow in your knowledge. That word knowledge there is a hands-on understanding. It's a relationship term. And you need to be growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know Christ at all. Or maybe you say, Gabriel, I haven't grown. I haven't sought after God. Yeah, I got saved when I was 12. And I'm, I, I've never done anything with it. I've never served God. I've never pursued more of what He has for me. I've just become stagnant. Either one of those today, if that's you, just slip your hand up. You can put it right back down. I just want to see. I don't want to embarrass, but I do want to see who we're praying for today. Okay. Maybe you say this morning, Gabriel, there's some of these areas. I just, I realize today that, that maybe I've, I've, I've fallen into some of these traps. I've heard some of these, these teachings and I've, I've begun to lean towards those. If that's you this morning, I want to pray over you as well. And I want to believe today for freedom in your life because these are truly traps. So God, right now, I just pray for everybody in this room. I I lift them up to you today, myself included, God. If there's any of us today that have fallen into one of these traps, God, we've, we've allowed ourselves to listen to the lie of the enemy, to the craftiness of the serpent, God. God, if we've allowed our lives... And this may be the big one today. If we've allowed our lives to be driven and dictated by our desire and not by your word. God, we allow our lives, we begin to justify and affirm our own sin. And if that's the case, God, I pray that today we would find forgiveness in you. Today we would break free from those chains. And today we would focus on what you've got to say in our lives. And we would allow you to speak life into us. Lord Jesus, I just pray for our church that we would have sure footing. God, that we would ground ourselves and establish ourselves on your word and not on traditions and not on culture and not on what feels good, but on what your word says for us. In Jesus' name.